I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KBCR. Thank you for listening and Happy New Year. To kick off 2024, we reached into the archives for one of my favorite interviews with actor and comedian John Lovitz. You may know John from Saturday Night Live and movies including the Penny Marshall movie, A League of Their Own, where he played baseball scout Ernie Cappadino. John can be seen on the game show Funny You Should Ask, which features six comedians each time. John still performs regularly. In fact, he has a residency at the Laugh Factory in Las Vegas now through February. When we spoke a couple of years ago, John talked about his experience on Saturday Night Live, the comedy roast, and his early years learning his trade. Here's my conversation with actor and comedian John Lovitz. Welcome. Thank you. You were born in Tarzana, and you didn't have far to get to Hollywood for sure. Your father was a doctor. Coming from a Jewish family, were you expected to follow that career, or were you funny as a kid and comedy was your destination? Well, when I was a kid, you know, I was like every kid. Baseball was the big sport, and Ah. Little League was huge. In the San Fernando Valley, there's probably like 100,000 kids playing baseball. I mean, growing up, I wanted to be uh, Willie Mays, the baseball player. And I was obsessed with baseball until I was like 15, and then I realized I wasn't good enough. And then I started doing plays at that age, and I seen Woody Allen's movie, Take the Money and Run, his first movie when I was 13. So I remember thinking, I want to be a comedian like Woody Allen. And so then I focused on that. And uh, my father was a very successful doctor. I didn't feel like I could compete with him in that field. But to his credit, I asked him, like, if you want me to be a doctor, he goes, no, no, I would never tell you what to do. You have to, he goes, I would love it. It would be great. But you have to choose what you want to do. If he was kind of forced to do that, so he said, I'll never do that. I think he liked it. He was very successful at it. So this comedy thing did work out for you. Who were your early influencers? You said Woody Allen. Who then did you kind well, of... Well, Woody Allen, and then I, and then I saw the movie uh, Lenny, mm. about Lenny Bruce starring Dustin Hoffman when I was 16. I'd never heard of uh, Lenny Bruce, and so the movie was so great, and Dustin's performance was so great that I just said, man, I want to hear the real guy. So I went to the record store. Hmm. Weird that I don't have it anymore, but I went hmm. to the record store, and I bought some Lenny Bruce albums, and then I discovered that Woody Allen had an album it was called the Woody Allen, the, the nightclub years, 1964 to 1968. So I bought that and I would listen to their albums. I went to college at UC Irvine. I lived in a fine arts dorm, Prado, and, and so they'd have a talent night. So I would do Woody Allen and Lenny Bruce's routines in a dorm. But I was, you know, studying drama at UC Irvine and then I got my degree. And I took class, this guy, Tony Barr, who was great for working in front of the camera, which a friend of mine recommended me to do and for a year and a half. And I went to New York. I wasn't getting any work and uh, for about 11 months. And I came back and I started uh, going to class at the Groundlings, which is a theater improv group in uh, Los Angeles that specializes in comedy. And I was 25 at that point. Mm. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm just going to be a comedian. Because basically I was focused on straight acting up till then. I drove from uh, where I was staying in Woodland Hills to Hollywood. And so you go, you didn't have far to go, but we'd say you're going over the hill. Mm-hmm. You know, from the valley. And to me, it was just another world, uh, even though it wasn't, you know, so far away. And I remember getting on the freeway and I was like crying. I was so scared oh. because I just thought I'm really committing to being a comedian and no one's telling me to do this and no one knows who I am and what's going to happen. And anyway, I get to the class and I did a an improv, get on stage, and teacher, guy Randy Bennett from 
uh, Texas and you know, they were up there well that was good but you could have done like this you could have done this and, and he's telling me like different ways to be funny and goof off and I'd never heard that from a teacher and I was just oh man I was just in heaven and I go this is the place for me and it was the best decision I, I ever made and I, I loved it and I you know I got to on the Sinai show from the grounds and, mm-hmm. and that led to Saturday Night Live and everything else Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. But I want to go back to when you were in college and you were doing these routines that you learned. Were you making students laugh? Did you hear that laughter and that? Did you feel oh, that? Oh yeah, I'd listen to their records. You know, I didn't write the material of right. course. I was just doing their routines. Right. But I, but I would write it out on a um, like Woody Allen had a routine. It's very silly, but it's really about uh, anti-Semitism. <laughs> but it's a very funny routine. About he goes to a costume party. He goes, I shot a moose. I, I'd write out the whole routine, and I would write like little lines, like where he would like you know hit a word, or his voice would go up, or it would go down with little arrows. You know, so I was just I was just trying to imitate him. You know, he'd go like, I shot a moose. I was hunting in upstate New York, and I shot a moose. You know, he'd be like that. He hit the K, and he hit. Yeah, and they they all got it. They all got the routine, and it was it was really fun. So I was up there like in a white, like my white John Travolta Seven I Fever suit, fake cigar. You know, I didn't know what I was. I got there a suit and a cigar like George Burns. You know, shot him. <laughs> but I mean, at Irvine, I was kind of you know, and I was the class clean. Let me reintroduce you. My guest is actor and comedian John Lovitz. Let me turn for a little bit. Your time on Saturday Night Live in the mid-'80s, was that a game-changer for you, your career, your checkbook, and your life? Yeah, all that. Yeah, (laughs) 100%. Everything you said, it completely, yeah, I made money. I had money. I got famous. I had girls, you know, more than normal. It It completely changed my life. The thing about it is, is that people who... You know, it was unfortunate. The people closest to me uh, changed, and that was upsetting because mm-hmm. I'd always try to, like, get their approval or get them to like me, and they're like, no, no, no. And then as soon as I get the show, you know, even my own father, oh, now you're a match. I go, oh, now? Mm-hmm. You know, or a girl I like, and she says, oh, now I'm in love with you. I go, now? And a friend of mine sent me a quote of Kirk Douglas, and it said, when you become famous, you don't change, everybody else does. You don't feel any different. You know, someone says, "What is its fame?" I go, "Well, it's nothing I feel. It's just when somebody recognizes you, goes, oh, 'Oh, you're John Lovitz.'" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> well, to me, I mean, yes, well, that's why I am, or who you are. You know, you're Lillian. So it'd be like someone could be, "Hey, you're Lillian." Yeah, I get it. <laughs> well, that's what it is. Yeah, I get it. I appreciate it. I appreciate people saying I love your work and thank you. I mean, what other jobs does that happen? None. For people, thank you for your, you know. So there's a lot of benefits, you know. Look, let's be honest. Someone said, is it better to be famous than not? I'm like, what are you kidding? Yeah. Do people treat you differently? Or what are you, joking? <laughs> yes. So you look fondly on your days on Saturday Night Live? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it was really a tough job. I mean, there were days where I had to get me off the show. I mean, mm. there was eight of us on the show, and it was very, very competitive between the cast and the writers. and. Really? uh Oh, yeah. And if you got had a lot of sketches on one week, the next week the writers wouldn't write anything for you because they were pissed. You're competing against them. You know, oh. to get stuff on air, on a Wednesday, they'll have to read through from 3 to 5. They submit, you know, 30 to 40 sketches. And then from that, 
they'll pick 14 to, uh, you know, fully produce and make sets. So you're working all week. And then on Saturday, they have dress rehearsal and they do all 14 sketches. So dress rehearsal is always long. And then they'll cut six of those sketches, which is almost an hour of show. It's a lot. Out of 14, they're cutting almost half, six. So eight make it on air out of the 40 that you started with. Wow. So you look fondly upon it. It did bring you, you know, more dollars and probably name recognition. Well, it changed my life. I have a career because of it, yeah. But it was hard. Oh, it's a very hard job. Anybody that's on that show, they go, what do you think? They go, well, they're all talented. And it's just really hard because, like, a a sitcom is nothing. It's so easy. Uh, You know, and you don't have to write the character, and you're playing the same character every week. And you're guaranteed to be in the show. So there's none of that. And it's only, like, 30 hours a week total. Whereas Saturday Night Live is like 80 hours a week, and you're writing the show, and you're competing to get your sketches in the air, and you're basically auditioning every week to get on air. You know, it's like that. It's very tough. Then you're performing live, so which is exhilarating, but you only have one chance to do the sketch. So if you don't do it right, that's it. You could do a sketch, and you miss one joke, and then you finish and come off and like, ah, crap. I mean, Dana and I would talk about it. We really cared. We really wanted to be. Not the others did, but we were doing really well. We really wanted to kill on air and be as funny as possible every time and go all out and just make the audience cry laughing, you know, every time. You're speaking of Dana Carvey. Right, yeah. Let me ask you, I read that when you were in college, you learned how to write a joke. What did you learn about writing a joke? What, what was its importance? I think I learned subconsciously, but A. Whitney Brown and this other girl, Hillary Krieger, when I was in the Groundlings, this girl, Hillary Krieger, she said, have you ever written a sketch? I'm like, no. I'd written something once in college, but not really. So she showed me the structure of a, of a sketch and how to write it, which has like a beginning, middle, and an end, and a hmm. premise, and then, you know, and what the characters do and everything. A lot of the sketches, they don't work because they're not, it's not a sketch. It's just the idea for the sketch. Well, that's a premise. Now you need a story and characters and conflicts and what do they want, and I'll, I'll, just like you would a regular scene. So I learned that from her. And then on Saturday Night Live, I did my liar character mm-hmm. the first time. And then after this electrician came up to Lauren's office, Robert Smigel did Triumph the Insult Dog. It was his first year writing on the show. Anyway, Robert said, John, this electrician just said that Lauren, that liar thing is the funniest thing I've seen in years. <laughs> and Lauren was like, oh. So he said to me, hey, let's do the liar again, but why don't you, why don't you write it with A. Whitney Brown, who was you know, a great comic. And... Um, I remember Whitney and met him. He goes, hey, I, I'm a stand-up. Can you watch my stuff? I go, yeah, yeah. And I kept putting him off. But finally, I sat down and watched it. I don't know why I didn't watch it right away, but I didn't. But I said, all right, let me see. So I watched him. And he goes, what did you think? Do you think it's good? I'm good. I go, good? I go, what are you? You're a genius. Hmm. Then there's that. I go, my God. I mean, he was hilarious. So we would write the liar character together. And I really learned how to write jokes from Whitney. And I was good at editing taking out the fat, you know, and honing it down. And he learned that for me. It was a good team. And that was really fun. That was probably the highlight of the show was really writing those sketches with him. Now that I think back on it, it was just kind of magical. And being in Rockefeller Center and in an office in the air from New York, Mm. warm and the whole thing, you know, it was just, and then we're just trying to come up with how to be funny. Here's a clip of a liar's sketch from SNL with John and Tom Hanks. Can I make you boys some soup or something? No, thanks, Mom. I just had dinner in Brazil. 
Yeah, yeah, I was in Brazil uh, helping the president work out the Latin debt crisis. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I solved it yesterday. I created a spiral of wealth using just 10 pesos and a chain letter. Oh. Yeah, well, I was in Brazil, too. Yeah, I was a, I was a rainmaker. Yeah, that's what I was. In fact, I, uh, I made it rain so hard, I had to take a submarine home. And the people were so happy with me, they made me into a god. Yeah, part-time, though, because uh, I had to get back to my wife, uh, Morgan Fairchild. That liar character, I mean, he really, I don't give him credit. I did it the first time he created the character. I didn't know what to do with it afterward, and he really showed me how to expand the character and make the lines bigger, you know, more ridiculous, which is his idea. <laughs> crying laughing, so make the lines huge. You do ridiculous well. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, I'll continue my conversation with actor and comedian John Lovitz. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. If you're just joining us, my guest is actor and comedian John Lovitz. You've done television, you've done films, you've done stage, you've done stand-up. One of the things that surprised me, you're a singer, and you've sang the national anthem. Is that because you're a baseball fan, and you kind of mentioned that earlier? Well, I grew up in, I was a Dodgers and New York Giants, because I loved Willie mm. May. Okay. So I liked both teams. Yeah, my dad wanted to be an opera singer, so he'd always play music in the house, and I just grew up singing, and um, what happened was... Is, I got in the movie A League of Their Own, and it was a big hit. So then I got invited at Dodger Stadium and I sing Hollywood Stars game where, you know, actors and celebrities, and you got to play in a baseball game on the field at Dodger Stadium. And, you know, I wanted to be a baseball player when I was yeah. 7 or 15. So they go, do you want to play in this? I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> Could, you know, get to go play baseball on the field at Dodger Stadium was like, you know, a dream come true. I mean, oh, I never even imagined I could do it. You know, and everyone that played in that game, it was the same for them. I grew up playing baseball. We get to play at Dodger Stadium. And yeah. Oh, my God. So it was fantastic. Anyway, I did it. And Gary Owens, who was on the TV show Laughing, and yes. he was the announcer. Yes. He was announcing the game. And then, so one time he's doing a game, and I'm sitting next to Cuba Gooding Jr. And I go, God, I would love to be up there announcing part of the game. So Cuba goes, well, go on up, you know, I guess. So I walked by Gary. He goes, oh, hey, John, you want to, like, do some announcing? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it, and I was getting, like, big laughs. So then the next year, they, besides him, they'd have me start playing in the game and announcing some of the game. And then I wanted to sing the national anthem. So the guy, uh, Joe Sigmund was his name. It was, oh, him and um, uh, Jack Lardy. But anyway, they put together the game. So I called up, and I said, hey, um, I want to sing the national anthem. I go, I just always wanted to do it and at a baseball game. I go, I know it sounds crazy, so I'll just sing for you over the phone. And if you think it's good enough, then I'd like to do it. But if not, okay. He goes, all right. So I sang for him. He goes, oh, that's good. Yeah, you should do it. And he let me do it. I was really nervous, but I did it. Because I always wanted to sing, you know, Land of the Free and the Home of the Brave. It's a, hard, ball, you know? it's a hard song. Yeah, it's hard because... It has a really low note and has a high note. Right. So if you start the song too low or too high, especially if you start too high, that high note is like, ugh. But anyway, I did it, and um, you meet the organist, you know, her name's Nancy B. So you practice with her. But it's Dodger Stadium. You know, it's like, it's a huge 
like, you know, you're seeing in an arena, you know, a stadium. So it's really exciting. So next thing you know, this game, I'm singing that one game, like I'm singing the national anthem. I did it like three times. So I'd sing the national anthem, and I'd play in the game, and I'd announce the game. So then they're like, you have to come. You like the whole game. I'm like, eh, all right. Okay. <laughs> but I was thrilled, you know. So I got to play baseball, sing, and do comedy on the mic, you know. Yeah. You mentioned A League of Their Own, which is one of my favorite movies. You were cast as Ernie Cappadino. He's the, is, right. yeah, is Grumpy your thing? No, no, no. No, but, no, but that, that was that character. They wrote sure. the part for me, but see, the, the character was, it was written really sarcastic. Yeah. So, so I had to, if I just played it like that, it, it would have just come off as just mean and, and resentful, you know? So, but the way it was written was, you know, I, I go, I, I go. Uh, oh, I saw you playing today. Not bad, not bad. We're doing a new league. You want to play? And you go, I don't know. I'm like, all right, don't play. No skin off my ass to be right? You don't want to play. It's fine. Stay here and milk the cows, you know? <laughs> and uh, and um, the way he's written, you figure out the character, which was like, he's a baseball scout, but they're saying, go out and find women. Right. And he's like, ugh, you know, all right, fine. So he doesn't really want to do it, but the owner said, you know, can you do me a favor and go find you know, players, and all right, fine. Anyway, when you approach it like that, he's like, he's doing it, but he's reluctant, you know what I mean? But then he sees them playing, and, they, and they're not bad. So instead of going, oh, I saw you playing today, not bad, not bad, right? Like, that's how you'd normally do it. But I wanted to, I thought it's funnier if he, like, reluctantly admits it. So I'd say, like, you know, I go, oh, I saw you playing today. Not bad, not bad. You want to play now? All right, fine, don't. Well, I'll go. I'm ready, I'm ready right now. I gotta sign something. I don't want you. I want her, the one who hit the ball. You can climb back under the cow. She's good. She's very good. She's a pitcher. She just didn't pitch today because she pitched the day before. Well, thanks for that extra special glimpse into her life. I want you. You I saw, you I like. Now, what do you say? There's a train leaving for Chicago tomorrow. Oh, come on, what do you say? Are you in? No, thanks. Daddy. No, thanks. Hey, no skin off my ashtabula. You want to stay here plucking cows, that's your business. You know something? You're not nice. Ooh, that one hurt. So long, milkmaids. When your character goes to to get the one gal that's not as attractive as... Marla Jean, Yes, Marla. It was, um, it, was, it was a good scene as well. When you were getting the girls to come and play, all were good scenes because of your delivery and your, just like you described, slightly sarcastic... I called it grumpy, but maybe it was just like you said, you, you got the character and you wanted it to be funny and still make the well, point. Well, I don't want to, because if he was reluctant, you know what I mean? It, it would have just been mean. Okay. He's just being mean. I don't play. I don't care. You know, you could do it like that. You right. want to play or not? I don't. I don't care. Bye. It's, that's not funny. It's just mean. So it, it was like he couldn't help himself. When I say, uh, yeah, I'm in the gym with Marla Hooch, and I, I say to her father, I go, uh, I have to get girls that are pretty good. Can you ask her to take her hat off? And then you just deadpan. You just wait like you're just waiting. And I want—I wanted to do it like he was so surprised that it scared him. Like, you know, it's yeah. funny. Like he just wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it was like funny. I, so I said to Penny Marshall, it was great. God bless her." I said, "I go. I want to do a bunch of takes in a row, like me reacting to that, right?" I go, "Just keep the camera. Let me try a bunch of stuff." She's okay. So the hat was off, and and then it just it was funny. It was like it was so. He's so horrifying. He's gonna take a step back. <laughs> oh, that's just not right. But it was funny. 
No, um, I know, but it's funny. And then he looks at it and he's like, oh, it's mean, but it's funny. And then I go, eh, I'll let you know. But I knew what the next scene was, which I had to do it like that because then the father goes, yes. hey, mister, look, I know my daughter's not the prettiest girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he makes the case you to, that... You're setting it up for him. Yeah, you know? exactly. And then that guy, Eddie Jones, he passed away sadly. But you watch him in that movie. He was so good. He was so moving. He like made me cry. Yeah, me too. But it worked because you had set him up just like you described. And because right. when he appeals to you, look at I raised her. I may not have raised her right, but she can play yeah, ball. He was so good. And then I remember going, what do I... I go, I'm just going to listen to him. My guest is actor and comedian John Lovitz. John, you've participated in comedy roasts. I know you've done some of the roasting. What's that like, that evening or that, that situation? Is it brutal or is it fun? Well, I mean, I've done it a long time. I mean, it's kind of like, there's to me, there's a dividing line of those roasts, which was when they were private and then when they started putting them on TV on Comedy Central. Right. And they were very different because it started off, it was the Friars Club. Right. And so the idea was, like, once a year, they would. the Friars Club was just for uh, comedians you know, a club for comedians. And so it would start off where once a year they would pick a, a, a comedian to make fun of. And it was only for men. And it was private. And you had to pay to go. And, and it raised money for a charity. And then they say, you know, you have to be as, like, filthy as you can be. But no one would see it except the members. So it was just kind of like this legendary thing. You go, oh, you got to see this. We'll go to the roast. You can't believe it, you know. Or I guess people would go. I guess you have to take, but it was private. You know, and, and back then, on like, say, you had the great comedian Jack Benny hmm. on TV and radio, you couldn't cuss or anything. Hmm. But now he's going to be doing that, right? Because there was language restrictions on television and performing. But at this thing, there wasn't any. So people were just like, you know, it was legendary. So the first time I did one was with them. Um, and I went to one. They roasted Bruce Willis. And Milton Berle was the host. You know, <laughs> and he'd been one of the original Friar members. Right. And he was, but he was 83 at the time. But he was sharp as a tech, and he was unbelievably great. And he gets up, and right now we're going to start. Please welcome our master of ceremonies, Milton Berle. And the whole room starts twittering, and everyone's like, it's quiet. And they're really excited because they know they've heard about this, where these comedians are like really funny and filthy, but they've never seen it. And then he just starts, and all of a sudden he just starts with these jokes, you know, really dirty but hilarious. <laughs> and, and he did like eight minutes, and he was like brilliant. And I go, well, how are you going to follow that, you know? And then on Comedy Central, they started doing it where they didn't just roast. The person being roasted, they'd make fun of everybody on the dais. And everybody that got up would make fun of everybody over and over. So that part, I, you know, so then you're getting roasted. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not here to be roasted. But I liked it. You know, I mean, and some of the jokes, I mean, there's a difference between, like, a joke and then a joke that's, like, mean. Yes. And so I didn't try to do mean jokes. I tried to do jokes that were silly that, they basically weren't true, you know what I mean? So then they, they'd be so ridiculous that, that you'd go, it's just ridiculous, it's funny. <laughs> I watched the show, Funny You Should Ask, hosted by John Kelly, and you're in the first chair. Is it a challenging show? Do you, do you already know what's coming? Do you think that quick on your feet? Or is it just your expressions? Because the camera always pans to you for your expressions. What's that show for you like? Well, Byron Allen produces it, and... He created with Scott Satin, and Byron is um, a friend of mine, and, he's, and this has never happened to me before. That is about 3 o'clock, and Scott called me and goes, where are you? I go, I'm in the valley playing golf. Why? He goes, well, we're shooting the pilot. We're supposed to be here. And I'm like, what? It's today? 
I completely forgot, and I was really embarrassed. I go, oh, my, I'm so sorry. And I wasn't, like, not trying to show up. I just forgot. You have some clothes for me from the sitcom. It was shot at the same place because I'm in my tennis clothes. Oh, my God. So I go, I was really embarrassed. So I, I was in the valley, and I had to get to Studio City, and I had to drive to Culver City. Ugh. And so I go, oh, my God. So I race there, you know. I go, I'm so sorry. This has never happened. I'm so sorry. So anyway, I did the show. And then Scott goes, well, did you have fun? I'm like, yeah. I was like reluctant. I go, yes. Because I was with a bunch of comedians and I'm yeah. just cracking jokes, yeah. you know. It's fun to do, you know, and it's fun to see the other comics and you get to meet new people. Like Billy Gardell, I'd never met or go involved. I love Billy. They're really nice guys. Everyone's very nice. And so it's an enjoyable job. You just sit in a, in a very comfortable chair and <laughs> cracking jokes. And, you know, some are written, some are made up and all, you know. Who or what at this point, who makes you laugh? What makes you laugh? Well, you know, on SNL, I mean, I always thought Dana Carvey and Dennis Miller and Phil Hartman and Kevin Ewan were hilarious. And today? I mean, there's a lot of new comedians that are hilarious. I think Dave Kell is, like, brilliant. I think Jim Gaffigan's really funny. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of them. What is this guy's name? Felicia Sparza. Joe Coy is very funny. Joe Coy used to open for me. Now he's playing stadiums. So that's fun to see. He's great. God, there's so many. Uh, when I started do- doing stand-up, I was like 46 to really start doing it. And Dane Cook was great. He was very supportive. Because it was hard because everyone was like, you know, 15 years younger than me. But like Dane and, and Ralphie May, God bless him, best way. They're like, hey, you're doing this the right way. You're learning how to do it. Because a lot of comics, they'll be famous, but they've never done stand-up. And it's completely different, you know. And they'll just go out and just start doing shows and getting the money and not not having the show, and I, I took about two years before I started headlining, which is really not that long. I just worked my way up. But, you know, I'd been doing comedy for years, so a lot of the stuff I, I'd already learned. You know, I learned, I knew how to write jokes. I knew how to, I had timing, I had delivery, but I didn't know how to, like, put an act together, you know, the, of a length, and you just start slow, and you slowly add to it. I didn't know, you know, how to use the mic right and how to work the audience by yourself, all that stuff I had to learn. Hmm. And the timing of that. All plays a part, for sure. Now, I mean, now it's like 16 years later. I mean, I'm way better now. <laughs> no, well, that's wait, good to know. <laughs> well, 17 years into it, yeah, you go, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about John Lovitz, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on today's show. If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you think would make a good segment on Lifestyles. All you have to do is visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Here's to a wonderful 2024. Bye for now.